The word team is used in a lot of organizations to describe anything where two or more people are involved. However, groups and teams look very different depending on their purpose and organization. In today's show, you'll learn about the four unique types of teams and how to work within and lead each. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 138. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. This is a weekly coaching show to help us all be better leaders through improved communication, human relations, and personal productivity. This is a show for the people sides of business and organizations. And if you want to get more effective working with people, leading people, and being able to get the most out of not only yourself, but the people that you work with, this is a great place for you to be. Welcome back to the show. And I am just thrilled to be back with you this week and to welcome back a guest way back from episode 21. She was last on the show uh, to talk about a very important topic that is, is really relevant to almost everyone in organizations, which is different types of teams. And in fact, today we're going to look at the four unique types of teams. And the person who's here is in studio and uh, just the perfect person on this topic. And that is Susan Gerke. Susan is a consultant and trainer. She has been specializing in team development for over 20 years. I mentioned she was last on the show, episode 21. So Susan, it's great to have you back. And, um, you know, we, the way, uh, how many years have we known each other now, Susan? Oh, geez, a lot, Dave. I can't even begin to think six, I, seven, eight, something. I don't know. I, I was thinking maybe closer to 10. Could be, it's, could be. Because I'm thinking like 2004, 2005. Um, we have brought Susan in on a number of projects we've worked with over the years. And I may have mentioned this the last time we had you on, Susan. Um, one of our uh, past clients had said when we got done working with them that um, having Susan involved with their organization was one of her career highlights as she was finishing her career, one of her top five career highlights. Uh, Susan is just such a talented facilitator and trainer. She is um, just one of the best I've seen as far as being able to work with a team of people, help them to have a really productive conversation, and to help teams improve. And that's why I'm thrilled that you're here and that you have brought you're bringing some of your knowledge and wisdom to us today and to give us a framework to help us think about and appreciate the four different unique types of teams. So welcome back to the show. Hey, it's just great to be back with you, Dave. I'm really looking forward to our time together this morning. Well, I thought maybe we'd start off by getting a little bit of a framework on you know, what is a team and how is a team different than just like a whole bunch of people collected together or a group of people? And I know that you have used an analogy over the years with um, teams as you've worked with them and helped them to understand this of, of, of getting onto a bus. And so I was wondering if you could maybe walk us through that analogy you've used. Good. The good old bus analogy. And you know, it, it is a good one. So, so think about for a minute, uh, you and I, Dave, could go outside the door here, and I suspect there's a bus comes on the corner over there, yep. and maybe there's half a dozen people at that bus stop. And you know, one of them's probably going to the store, and somebody else is going to school, and somebody else is on their way home, whatever. 
Well, they're all going to go on the bus, but each person's really independent from everyone else. And each person can achieve their goal for the day or not, regardless of what anybody else does that gets on that bus. So that I call that a bunch. They're, you know, they're not much common there. They just... Happen to be in the same place, same time, and using the same resource to get to their goal. Using the same vehicle to get there. And we we probably have some bunches in our organizations, hopefully actually not too many of those. Um, But let's step it up and look at what a group might be. Let's imagine we've gotten a whole group of friends together and we're going to go to a local baseball game. And so we've got a bus for that. And we've got to be on the bus right at five o'clock and everybody but... Mary shows up for the game, the bus. So we all get on the bus. Mary doesn't come, but we all still go to the game. We have a great time. We miss Mary. Mm-hmm. And yet we're all able to achieve the goal of going to the to the ball game and having a great time. That's like a group for me. And we have lots of groups in organizations where we're all trying to focus on the same thing. But if somebody doesn't get their part done, I can still be successful. You can still be successful. And we have lots of those. And so the difference between that and a bunch is we're all working toward a similar objective. That's right. Got it. Got it. Good. And then we can go to what I would call a team. And that is, let's imagine we're taking a bus. Uh, we're going to go up to the mountains for the weekend. So we've got a whole bunch of people on the bus. We're all going to the mountains for the weekend. We're very excited. And it turns out we have a bus driver who's not the best driver. And he drives too fast, coming around a curve, slams on the brakes. And we now are precariously balancing between staying on the road and falling into a deep ravine. Mm. We are now a team Ah. because anything that anyone does is going to impact everybody else on the bus. Either positively Uh, or negatively, right? So if there's 20 people on the bus, um, what one person does or does not do, leaning to the right or to the left, might impact the success of the entire team. Exactly. So we're all going to die together or we're all going to live together. And that's a team. And we do have lots of teams and organizations. And we have some groups that maybe need to be teams. And I think we have some people trying to be teams who would be just fine being groups. So there's not a best... It's getting some clarity around what does this group of people need to be, a team or a group? Well, I like that thought on the, you know, there's not necessarily, it's not that everyone necessarily needs to be a team. I mean, certainly there are times we all get on a bus and we're just going to our own place or we're getting on a group and we're not necessarily, we don't need to necessarily be a team. So it is interesting that sometimes leaders and organizations feel like everyone has to be a perfect team and 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 work together perfectly and that's not necessarily always the case. Right. And and actually we use the word team very broadly. We you do. know, we use it yeah. the whole organization. We're team whatever the name of our company is or whatever and and so we use it when we mean teamwork, we use it when we mean collaborating, we use it when we mean fun, we use it when we mean a structural thing as well. So the The word used very, very broadly, I think. Well, this is where I think um, our conversation today will really be helpful to people um, because one of the distinctions is thinking through, you know, what what is a group and what are the kinds of um, situations where you have groups and then where are the places where you really have teams and need teams? And and then also, you know, how much expertise do people, you know, have as far as it does have to be the same time expertise or does it have to be varied expertise? And so... Um, we're actually going to walk through a model here 
that will look at these four different types of teams. And we have two variables that we're looking at. By the way, we're going to put a graphic for this in the show notes. So um, so as you're, if you're driving down the road, you don't have to be <laughs> making things in the air trying to figure out you know, what's this, that. But I think if you think about the two variables first that we're, we're looking at, uh, Susan, one of the variables I know you've, you've um, articulated to me is whether um, people are working pretty independently or if they're going to be interdependent. And I think that that's the distinction we've just articulated between a group and a team on the bus. Am I getting that right? Yes, absolutely. And so so for those of you trying to either draw this physically or mentally, put that on your horizontal axis, if you will, with towards the left side is independent and the right side is interdependent. Got it. So interdependent team, that's the all the people on the bus need to be leaning the same yep. way. Um, independent means, you know, we're all kind of we're working toward a similar goal, but each individual person's contributions right. you know, relevant to just them. So um, and then the other variable here, the vertical axis, for lack of a better term, would be, you know, the kinds of expertise people have. And I think the distinction here is, is do people have similar types of expertise? Like do people generally know the same types of things? Or is there varied expertise? Like I may be an expert in one particular area and someone else may be an expert in something else. Is right. that, am I capturing that right? Yeah. So now if we go from bottom to top, then the bottom of that axis, if you will, is similar expertise. And as you move up would mean move towards varied expertise. So now you've got, if you draw the lines together, you actually come out with four different styles. You've got independent with similar expertise above that independent with varied expertise move to the right side bottom right you've got similar expertise and interdependent and you move to the upper right and you've got the varied expertise and interdependent so now you've got four types of teams and these really are on continuums and for thinking about this it helps to think of it as four types of teams Perfect. So let's look at something that is something I think that most of us would understand and appreciate is, you know, how these things, these different four types of teams play out on something that a lot of us would know, which is sports teams. Yeah, Uh, It's a great, great way to think about it. I think and people say, oh, sports. But, you know, we we're familiar with sports and it really are. And it does show, I think, very well what each of these four types are like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's look at these. Um, uh, Which one should we start with? I find it helpful to start with the bottom left, which would be the uh, independent and similar expertise. Oh, okay. Okay. And so, so the, you can use a couple of different kinds of teams there. You can think about a golfing team, or I like to think about a bowling team, maybe because I bowled several years ago on a bowling team. But you were on a bowling team? Yeah, that's where my husband and I kind of hung out and found each other. Oh, really, that's awesome. Honestly. I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. So this is a very long time ago. Okay, good. That's a whole nother um, conversation another, for another, another day. conversation <laughs> for another day. Um, but think about this. On a bowling team, generally, let's say we've got four people on our bowling team. And so we all have to be able to throw the ball down the alley and knock down pins. And we don't have the option if we leave a very difficult number of pins up there to 
to ask somebody else on the team to throw that ball for us. Mm. We each have to knock our own pins down, which means we have to have the same expertise, right? Yep. And then in terms of interdependence versus independence, well, you could be off, Dave, getting us some beers. Well, I'm having a conversation with, you know, Jill over here while Fred is taking his turn. And so we don't even have to watch each other or pay any attention while we're taking our turns. We just have to, when it's our turn, we get up and do our turn. And so we really are very independent. And in the end, we're called a team because at the end of the game, our scores are all added up. Yep. And we take that and that's our score and we compare it to the other bowling teams that have been playing. Got it. That makes sense. But, but think w- of that. That's like a group, right? We just add up what everybody did. Yep. And and everyone is doing the same kind of skill, but right. is really, you know, just what I do it doesn't affect necessarily right. what your performance right. is that day. That kind yeah, of thing. if you have a bad night, doesn't matter. I might be, have a really great night. And got it. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay, so let's stay. Uh, should we stay with the um, with more of the group side of yes, things? Yes, let's then? do that. So, so the, the the a different way to look at that would be then let, let's still say independent, but varied experience. So, a, another team. I think you said track and field would yes. be an ex- analogy I, for that. I think track and field is ideal. And, and actually, I ran track and did a little field back in the day as well. Is this, uh, are all these uh, sports teams going to be ones you've you've uh, Three out of four. In? Oh, really? <laughs> Isn't that funny? I've never thought of it that way, but oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the next one that I'm yeah. going to ask you about. So, so track and field, think about this. Uh, you might be the shot putter. Somebody else is the marathon runner. I'm the sprinter. Somebody else is the long jumper. Really very, very different skills that each of us need to have. And I can be doing my um, event at one end of the field. You might be doing it at the other end of the field. Some events last a minute or two, and that's the end of the track meet for that person. And some events, of course, like a marathon, last for hours. At the end of the the meet, we just add up how everybody did in their events, and that's how we did as a quote-unquote team. So again, it really follows the group model of what I do today versus what you do on your activity has nothing to do with each other's um, achievement for the day. It just impacts how the overall total comes out. So again, I could have a great day and you might not have a good day or we could both have great days. And and one of the distinctions here, of course, is everyone does have really, unlike the bowling team, everyone here has a very unique skill set. So you might be a champion shot put um but you're not going to be able to step in and be the sprinter for that day because that's just not your area of expertise. That's right. There's no way I could come in and jump in for somebody else. So we're very, very different in what we can do and what we bring. But still very much an individual contributor. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. And we are going to, by the way, um, once we walk through these four different ways, we're going to look back, okay, practically, how does this really work in organizations? Yeah. So we'll, we'll get to that here too. Um, okay. So that's the, the, so those are kind of more on the group side. Yep. On the team side, um, let's move over and look at, okay, if we have to work more independent, interdependently, you know, like all of us on that bus that need to sway one way or the other to make sure it, it stays on the yeah. road. Um, so should we look at a similar expertise yes, first? Yes, I think that's a good place to go. Okay, so let's go kind of go back to, again, if everyone has maybe very similar expertise, but is now more interdependent. What kind of uh, what kind of an organization or, or sports team would that look yeah. like? So, so one of the ones that often comes up when I have people kind of guess is a rowing team, because think of that. You know, we all have to just row, and we have to do it 
very much in sync and the more in sync we are the more successful we are Mm. the one i like to use because here we go back to my past again is synchronized swimming that was my sport for three years in high school, actually. I had no idea oh, you yes. were a synchronized swimmer. Oh, yes. I wow. absolutely was. But think about this. We don't have some people on the team who do arms and some who do legs. We mm. all have to be able to do all of those things. And the, the interdependence comes from our score is based on how in sync we are. So our fingers need to break, if we're underwater, our fingers need to break the surface at the exact same moment. We need to come out the exact same height. We even turn our head at the same moment and even break into a smile together. And the more synchronized we are, the better our score. And so very different from bowling, where we don't even have to pay attention to each other here. Every move we make has to be totally in sync with our partner. Got it. So the individual's skill set and expertise is still very similar amongst those people. But now I really have to be paying attention to what everyone else is doing um, because I could be brilliant on my own, but the organization as a whole will fail if I'm not paying attention to what everyone else is doing. That's right. Makes sense. Okay, good. And then our, so our final of these four Mm -hmm. is both very interdependent, but also having a tremendously varied expertise. And the sports team here you've described as a football team. Football team is the sports team, I think, that really works best for this. And part of that is, think about football. We have a different team for offense than defense. I mean, the same guys don't even play both of those. And mm-hmm. in many sports like um, basketball or soccer or baseball, everybody plays both in offensive and defensive roles. Not in football. And so very unique. And then, of course, we have people who all they do is kick and people whose job is to pass and people whose whole job is to knock other people down. Um, And so very specific and unique skills. And the interdependence is amazing. Um, If if you're the uh, running back and uh, let's say you're an an end, right? Um, I am the quarterback. When I throw the ball to you, I don't throw it to where you are right now. I throw it to where you're supposed to be. Mm. And the only way it works is if the guys who are supposed to tackle get their job done, then it all works. Mm. So very interdependent on one another. The only way the whole thing comes together is if each one of us is doing our part and it all comes together. That's pretty interdependent. And we do have that in organizations. Yeah. And this is so this this is great because I can I can really see all four of these just based on those different kinds of sports teams. Yeah. And I think you know, all those all those four different types of teams work in very different types of sports and in very different types of situations. Exactly. So, so let's now look at how this shows up in organizations and how, um, you know, what are some types of teams and organizations? And one of the things I really would encourage, um, you know, all of us listening to do is to think through, okay, the team you're on, or maybe you lead, or maybe you're a part of a couple teams, start thinking through what kind of team is yours most sound like? And is that the right place for your team to be. And if it's not, we'll talk about some strategies and tools for that too. Um, But let's go back now. Let's go to that first one again, the bowling team. So this is again, you know, people with pretty similar expertise, but working very independently. Uh, What would be a kind of an organization in the the business organization world or a team where you'd see that show up? Uh, One of the ones I like to use is an accounts payable department. Mm. So let's imagine there's maybe five of us who do the accounts payable. 
Each one of us is responsible to manage the vendors, to be sure we've got all the paperwork for them, to process their invoices, to send out checks, to et cetera, right? All the things we need to do for accounts payable. But maybe you have A through E and I have F through M in the alphabet and somebody else has N through you know, P and so on. Yeah. And so we just divide it up and we all do the exact same, come to work every day, we do the exact same thing all day just for our set of vendors. And it works great. Right, and, and at and the end like of the a month, bowling team, you and at the end of the day, yep. you add up the total number. Yep, and how are we doing on accounts payable? We just add up how each of us are doing, and that's what the status is of accounts payable in the organization. And 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 so there are other kinds of departments that make sense that way as well. Yeah. It's nice for backup. You know, if I'm out, you really could do my work for me because there's you've got all the skills that are needed in order to do what I have to do. And I know one of the things that's helpful is thinking through, like, you know, what are the kinds of like cooperation, coordination types things, um, maybe even meetings, communication, goals, rewards, all of that. How does that work in a team like this? You know, what are some of the ways that a, a leader or a team member would be thinking through how to how to utilize that well? Yeah, the, you know, it's all actually might be easier, Dave, to talk about some of that once we've identified the, the teams a little bit more. Oh, okay, sure, um, sure. So let, let's hold on to that for okay. a minute if we could. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll go to the next just one. Just get then, the so. examples out. Yeah, sure, I think that'll sure. help people. Okay, that sounds good. So let's, uh, let's go up to the track and field example again. So this again is varied, you know, pretty varied expertise, but still working pretty independently. And um, you've written down here on our notes that uh, a sales team is often a good analogy for or, this. Or it could be. But uh, so let's talk about a sales team. Let's, for example, maybe we have four really unique product lines. And so we've got a salesperson in charge of each of those product lines, which might also mean that they have some really unique uh, clients that are different from one another. So I know my product line inside and out, and you know yours inside and out, but I, you, I, you can't trade me for you. Mm-hmm. You know, you work on something totally, you're selling something totally different from me. Um, and so at the end of the month, how are we doing on sales? We add up all of our, how all of us are doing but there's no interdependence. There's not, not a lot I can do to help you. Now, can I teach you some sales skills or some of that? Maybe. But how I spend most of my day and who I'm talking to and how I sell to that client that kind of a product might be really, really different from yours. Yours might be a real quick sales cycle. Mine might be months or years long. And so you can imagine that. I um, resonate a lot with this just thinking of my work over the years with Dale Carnegie is very much a organization that is uh, kind of follows this model of very much, you know, very varied expertise levels for sure, but working very independently. People on yeah. a sales team have different skill sets, different types of clients that yep. they work with. Yeah. Exactly. And and there are a lot of others in different ways we do this in organizations. One of the, we sometimes put cross-functional groups together for a short while to do something. Um, and depending on how they do that work, sometimes they end up being a track and field team when versus a football team. Got it. Um, and that's some of the conversation we'll continue with. Okay. Okay. Great. So, uh, so that's kind of what the that that varied expertise, very independent kind of yep. organization looks like. So let's go down now again to the uh, synchronized swimming team. So um, again, similar expertise. Everyone in the organization is fairly knowledgeable about the same types yep. of things, but again, very now interdependent on each other for success. And you mentioned a call center is something that is is uh, aligns with this. Yeah, I've had some clients who really talk who really focused on having excellent call centers, and and certainly everybody has to be able to respond to calls and answer calls and handle whatever call comes to them. And so there's your similar expertise. 
Um, however, the level of coordination to be sure the calls are going to the right place and if a call needs to go to a second level person that that's happening appropriately and people are picking things up from the um, calling queue and that everything's being handled, there's a lot of coordination mm. and um, cooperation with that as well. And, and, and so that ends up being kind of an interesting example, I think. You, you, as you were uh, saying that, I was thinking almost a, a software team in some ways could be similar to this too, where a lot of times people will have a similar expertise as far as you know coding, but they do have to work really closely together as far as communication yeah. to figure out what everyone's working on, who's doing the debugging, who's That's doing right. the checking of everything. So, and, yeah. and, and if we're working on a an application together and we're putting together pieces of it, it's got to all come together at the end. Yeah, and so Coordination exactly. becomes really important. Okay, makes sense. And then, of course, um, the football team, again, varied expertise and quite highly uh, interdependent with each other would be more like an executive team or leadership team. Yeah, and there's lots of other kinds of teams and organizations too. But the reason I like to talk about executive teams is because I think the ones that really work well do operate this way and the ones that don't operate like a track and field team. Um, think about this. We've got the head of marketing, the head of research, the head of HR, the head of finance, etc. cetera, mm -hmm. right? And so they do each bring a unique aspect about the organization together when they're together as a team, generally the role of that team is to be running the organization, not to be making decisions about marketing and HR and research and so on. And so the conversations they should be having are about, hey, here's something going on in the marketplace. How is that going to impact us financially? For what, how should we be looking at that from a research point of view and making decisions together that are organizational in nature mm -hmm. and running the business? Now, as soon as I'm done being in my leadership or executive meetings for this week and those kinds of things, I do go back to leading marketing or leading sales or leading research, whoever it is. And that might be a different kind of team altogether. But what happens, and so an example I think might be helpful at this moment, I was working with a, the, um, the IT team in an organization. So it was the top managers in IT or directors, right? It was a pretty high level group. It's the head of IT and his direct reports. They were quite certain they were a football team because they meet every Friday and have this great meeting on Friday. And so I said, well, tell me about your meetings. Oh, we each go around and talk about what's happening in our part of the organization. I said, okay, and then what do you do with that information? Oh, nothing. Mm. But boy, we're a football team because look at us. We're all different. We're all unique. We're all specialized and we come together and talk about that. And so I got them to start thinking about is what does the organization want you to be doing about IT? How are you formulating your strategy and thinking to the future about how you're really going to manage IT and keep your company on the, on the front edge of this if that's what they need you to do? And little light bulbs started to come on and they realized they'd been acting like a track and field team. Um, and maybe some days that's okay, but organizationally, really the CEO was looking for them to lead hmm. the organization into the future relative to IT. And the only way they were going to do that is to work with each other interdependently and pull, you know, it's not just about the network or the systems or the laptop, the desktop and so on. How do all those things integrate to make it all come together? It is interesting to me as you're saying that, and I think back to teams I've been a part of, Susan, and yeah. also teams that I've worked with, is how often it's the case in organizations that 
um, that that exact thing you've just described happens where a whole bunch of people get together in a room and go around and talk about what everyone's been working on for the last week or two and call that teamwork and and say, okay, we're all working together as a team is with a unified strategy. And in reality, it's really, you know, it's just, we're just reporting on what right. we did. We're not really coordinating. We're not really working interdependently, right. like you said. Yeah. And, and so a good, really good cross-functional team that's put together that has somebody from research and marketing and development and manufacturing, all that, mm. when their work is best is when they work from beginning to end to decide what's the product and how are we going to place it in the market and when are we going to get out and so on, instead of Research coming up with an idea, sending it over to engineering, who gets it a little bit clearer, who sends it over to manufacturing, who creates it, and now gets it to marketing and sales, who go, who wants this thing, right? Yeah, and that happens a lot in organizations too, unfortunately. Well, this is this is a good transition point then to some yes. of those things I, I think I was yes, um, exactly. jumping ahead on earlier here, which is, okay, so... You know, we figure out maybe where we are yep. right now as a team and, and maybe where we are is good. And so yep. figuring out how to maximize that, but also maybe where we want to transition to. Um, so what kinds of things should we be thinking about as far as variables, as far as, you know, if, if we're an executive, an executive leadership team, you know, how often should we, you know, would be, we want to meet compared to like, you know, maybe a bowling, (laughs) the bowling team example. Um, What are some things that we want to be thinking about around that as from a leadership standpoint, as far as starting to put structure around this? Yeah, I think meetings is a great place to start and communications in general, Dave. So if you look at the independent versus the interdependent teams here, interdependent teams need to meet more often. They've got to have more communication because what I do is impacting what you do and so on. And so I don't know what the right answer is, but it's not once a month probably, right? And it might be daily meetings. It might be weekly, whatever it is. But we probably need to meet more often than say the track and field or bowling team. Track and field bowling team get together. What are they going to talk about? When's the next track meet? Where are we supposed to be? What time? And so on, right? They're not going to be able to talk strategies and so on necessarily. Sure, sure. And so number of meetings is important. And think about a football team. They not only have lots of meetings during the week getting ready for the game, but they have meetings during the game. We call them huddles. But really, they're meeting constantly to be sure they're sharing and exchanging information so that they can continue to adapt to what's happening in the situation. And you know, your synchronized swimming team, they're practicing together all the time, just as the football team is too. So spending much more time together and lots of communication that they need to do with one another. Yeah. And that's something I'm curious about too, is, you know, what, how does the content of that meeting change depending on the types of, um, the the kind of team that you need to be? Um, You know, how is that different in in maybe an executive leadership team versus, you know, a bowling team or track and field team would still meet, but the conversation is different. Yeah, the conversation is different. And, you know, some of what drives that is probably the goals can help us look at what those conversations need to be. But it, it truly also is we need to think about how it is we're interdependent and that should be driving what our agendas are about, right? Mm. Our interdependence level. Um, But that really gets us to goals, which is I think a second really key area besides looking at meetings. And that is those interdependent teams need to have their primary goal be team-based. And so the team goal is the dominant goal where the independent teams are going to do better actually by being driven by individual goals. First, the team second. So so here's an example I think that we can relate to. So it's the Super Bowl. Clearly the football team is trying to win the game and everybody's got that goal. And so that's a team goal. 
However, we might have a running back who's just 120 yards away from making a you know, a, a lifetime record for himself or, you know, for the team or something. And so, you know, we'd like to get the ball to him a lot. However, if the opposition keeps knocking him down when we get the ball to him, we're going to stop. And his goal will have to go away in service of the bigger goal. And so when we look at our synchronized swimming or our um, football teams, are we paying attention and clear about what's the team goal and making that dominant over individual goals, which means that's also what we have to reward. Uh, so part of what I want to be thinking about as a leader is if I'm if I'm running an executive leadership team and I haven't articulated what the team goal is or people aren't really aware of that, that that's probably a problem. Same thing is if you know I'm running a you know um, accounts payable team, if I'm not clear on what an individual goal is or having people have some individual markers, um, then that becomes maybe challenging too because people don't feel connected to necessarily right. to the team outcome or the team goal. Um, yeah. I know I felt that way when I've been, you know, back, back being on a sales team is, you know, um, it wasn't as relevant to me what the larger team sales goal was because I was like, well, at the end of the day, it's just me, you know, it's I'm, I have my own expertise in my own That's area. Right. So it really comes down to what what I do personally right. versus what the team does. Yeah. So, so if you take the trip, go back to the track and field, if you'll jump one inch higher and all run, you know, three seconds faster and somebody else throws something, you know, an inch further, if everybody is focused on getting better at their goals, reaching their goals, then the team, team might also win the track meet. And that might be an, an important goal for the team. But if you'll focus first on the individuals, you've got a better chance of raising everybody's level to to hit the the team goal. That's such a key distinction mm-hmm. of knowing the difference between the you know how independent or interdependent you are and how you're setting goals around that. Yep. I, I really yeah, that's that's such an important point. I hadn't thought of it that way and that 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 black and white framework before. So that's really helpful. Um, good. What what other things as far as uh, are there other things we should be thinking about as far as rewards or just how we're structuring things depending on different teams? And- yeah, absolutely. So you know, if if we're going to focus on goals at a team level, we should be rewarding at a team level. And if we're going to focus on individual, then we need to be rewarding at an individual level. So really being clear about what my reward systems are and. I need to reward the behaviors I want. And if I want people to work interdependently, there better be some rewards around that versus the independent rewards as well. Got it. So, um, you know, part of the thinking I know some people are doing is like, okay, how do I, how do I help people to to grow and develop and help these different, either a team or group become more effective? Um, Your expertise, Susan, is really training and how to get teams to work together more effectively. So um, how would you approach developing a team that's that's in kind of these different four categories what are the kinds of things that you think of when you're brought into an organization and they say you know okay we're a you know we're a synchronized swimming team you know um you know what do how do you handle that like approaching a call center versus working with an executive leadership team well we, we start by having the conversation about what kind of team are you so that we even get this framework i like to get this framework in front of them and have the team have the conversation about 
what kind of team are we? What kind of team oh, so do we need to be? So I'll walk through this. I'll draw it up on a whiteboard or a flip chart. And then I give them sticky dots. I give them two colors of sticky dots uh, if we're working on a flip chart or two colors of markers on a whiteboard to mark where they think the team is now and where they think the team needs to be for it to do its best work and be most effective. Mm. And then the conversation's fascinating, Dave. Oh, I bet. <laughs> because... Not everybody has exactly the same dots usually, but then we can get some more clarity around how we see the team. Um, and again, whether it's more of a group or a team doesn't matter so much. They still have some goals they need to achieve. And so from there, then we can step back and say, okay, so what does this team need? need? If it needs to be more similar in expertise or less so or more interdependent or less so, uh, then we can look at, do we need to focus more on the group's um, purpose? Is there not clarity of purpose or goals? Or do we need to do something about the reward systems? Or are our meetings a problem and we need to restructure how we're going to do our meetings? Um, you know, if you're interdependent, do you know how to make decisions together? Do you know how to handle conflicts? Uh, you start to have a lot of things that you might need to focus on. And, and, and of course, we can help you do that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I think that the, the, the thing is, though, you start from the framework of like, okay, where are we and where do we need to be? Yes. So you're not ended up having, because you can go down this road of, of um, figuring out as an organization, okay, how do we set a, you know, a team goal and a team vision, all those types of things, when in fact, it should be, you know, setting individual goals. Um, right. So you can do wonderful work around the thing that isn't your team or isn't your organization. Right. So it kind of goes back to what we said earlier, which is um, there's not necessarily a right or wrong here. Um, I think there's the belief always, and and so many organizations articulate this, we have to be a perfectly coordinated, well-oiled machine, and everyone needs to talk and communicate with each other every day. And the reality is, in a lot of situations, you, you don't necessarily need that. And maybe trying to do that isn't even you know effective or, or cost-effective yeah. or, or worth the time and effort that it would take to put into that. So, so the other piece this brings to the table, which is interesting, Dave, is the so let's think about those non-interdependent or not yet yeah, non-interdependent, which is the independent. So you've got your bowling and your track and field. You got two ways those things can work. They can work so independently that nobody does any, everybody just does their thing and goes home, or you can have them have an environment of teamwork. I think we often ask for team when what we want is teamwork. And so what teamwork looks like in a sales team like that or in a um, accounts payable team, for example, is we support one another. We share best practices with each other. Uh, we, um, uh, if particularly in a bowling, in, in the accounts payable team, if I'm out for a week, you pick up my workload for me or help me out if you can. Uh, we laugh together. We, you know, um, set some goals together that we can have and have fun with that. And so the difference in what it feels like to be on one of those that has teamwork versus doesn't makes all the difference in the world. You know, we talk so much about morale and engagement and so on. We don't have to be interdependent in order to be engaged and have a great time. We Independence might be the best way to get our work done, and yet we can do it with great teamwork, which is a much more engaging environment for people to work in. I love it. I'm glad you made that distinction. And and you're, you're so brilliant at doing this for people. And so I wanted to mention two resources that will be really helpful for folks if this is something that 
either you're involved with a team or maybe you're leading a team, this is something you'd, you'd want to look at as a resource. Um, first of all, is, is Susan, you've written a book uh, in the past, and uh, it, it really overviews a lot of these types of things. And also what we'll be talking about, you're actually going to be back on next week's episode too, because we're going to continue this conversation about teams. Um, and the book is called The Eye and Team. And I was wondering if you could maybe say a little bit about what people would find in the book. Uh, yeah, happy to do that. So um, people often say there is no I in team. And my co-author, Linda Behrens, and I are very clear that there is an I in team, and that's the individual. And so our premise is, if you don't understand what each person brings to the team and see each person as an individual, you're going to have a hard time getting what you, you're getting the camaraderie and the teamwork and all those things that you're looking for. And so actually the book starts out with a focus on temperament, which is uh, a pattern that we know about people, not, you know, people have a nice temperament or a bad temperament, but actually the temperament um, model that comes back from way back from Kiersey's work, but then looks at the stages of team development and looks at what's happening for the individuals based on how they're put together from a personality point of view each stage along the way. Uh, we do look at bunch, group, and team in the book. So, yeah, so good, that analogy good. is in there. And then there's lots of specific tips for leaders along the way. And the topic we're going to spend time on next week is the stages of team development. And that's got very, very close connection to what's in the book. Absolutely. Great. So that's a that's a great resource. I mean, if this has sparked your interest on things that would be helpful, if, if a framework around teams. Um, and the resource I really want to tell folks about, Susan, you and your partner, David Hutchins, who we've got to have on the show too, by the way, because David's uh, great. Um, and he's just such a brilliant storyteller is to, um, you, you know, one of the things that a lot of organizations struggle with is that they want to, they know they need to do more development around how to get their teams to be more effective. Um, but they maybe don't have the time or the resources to bring in a trained, uh, you know, hire someone from the outside and bring them as a facilitator. Of course you do that, Susan, but, sure. um, you know, um, one of the things you and David have created is created a full curriculum of resources for trainers, people who have an expertise in doing training and 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 um, and training organizations, that essentially is something people can utilize to train their organizations. And so, I was wondering if you could say a little bit about that too, and where people could find out more about that if they uh, if that struck their interest. Happy to. So, uh, it's a product called Go Team. Uh, and you can find it at www.goteamresources.com. And what GoTeam is, is it's 18 individual topics, two to three hours in length, really for intact teams. So groups that work together are teams that work together. They're the topics that we've, I've certainly learned over all these years, the ones that teams need to focus on. And so the, there's a participant guide for each person that has the content in it. There's a facilitator guide for the trainer or OD professional or whoever it is who knows how to work with teams to guide them through these topics. So whether it's managing conflict or setting up some operating guidelines or learning how to make decisions together or building trust or managing change that's coming along for the team. So there's topics all the way from, hey, we're really new and we got to get started to, hey, we've been at this for a while, but geez, all this change is coming at us or we need to be more creative or those kinds of things. So um, we're really proud of the product. I use it a lot with, with the teams I work with and find you, you can get a team to give you two or three hours 
And then they need to go back and apply it and do some real work. And then you can come back together with another topic when they're ready. That's what I love about what you've created. It is is what you've been doing for decades with teams is it's your content, your material. You've thought through all of the analogies, all the workflow to take people through that really gives them a value. And, you know, a, a trainer in an organization internally can pick it up, utilize it. So um, if that's something that's of interest, I'd, I'd really encourage you to check it out. I've walked, looked through many of the materials. I've seen Susan present on it. It's just it's just, a, it's just brilliantly put together and uh, the content's really accessible for people. So if that's something you want your team to get more effective, I definitely would recommend checking that out. And also check out next week's episode because Susan is going to be back. We're going to talk through... The four, uh, is it four stages of team development? Am I remembering that right? Um, And actually, uh, John Dixon, who was on the show a few weeks ago, had had alluded to this in his leadership role of like kind of these these four stages. So we're going to go through this in great detail and talk about you know when you're starting up a team and you're working with a team, you know what are the what are the kinds of things you're going to experience and go through. Um, Susan's going to walk through us that uh, in detail next week on the show. So I know that'll be really valuable to people. So I'm excited to have you back next week. Hey, I'm looking forward to it. Great. Well, thank you for coming in. I so appreciate it. Oh, well, thanks for having me as always, Dave. And you can, get, uh, again, find Susan at goteamresources.com or her own uh, personal website is susangerke.com. And I'll have a link to that in the show notes as well. A big thanks to my friend Susan Gerke for being on the show today. And as we mentioned, Susan is going to be back for episode 139 next week. We are going to tackle the topic, the four stages of team development. And if you've learned anything about teams before, you've probably heard those four stages of forming, storming, norming, and performing Um, But we are going to go into great depth on those. And more importantly, we're going to talk about what as a leader and also as a member of the team, you want to be doing at those stages to help the team progress and to keep from running into a lot of the obstacles and realities that many teams run into. So definitely check that out next week if you either lead a team or a part of a team. And that's just about all of us in one way or another. And even if you don't fall in that situation, you probably will at some point in your career, if not the majority of your career. And I would love, of course, to get your feedback on our conversation from today as well on these four types of teams. And so please do feel free to join the conversation online. If you have comments, questions, or feedback, or you have something you'd like to add to the conversation, we would love to hear from you. And that is at coachingforleaders.com slash 138. I've also put up there the notes we talked about today, plus uh, the graphic and some of the graphics that Susan has in her materials, which uh, I just thought would be helpful to you. So definitely check those out. Of course, if you get the weekly updates each week, you're already going to get that in your mailbox on Wednesday. So watch for that as well. And as always, if you have comments, questions, or feedback about the show in general, anything around communication, human relations, or personal productivity, you can always get that to me at coachingforleaders.com slash feedback. And I do have one question this week. Uh, actually, I have a few questions, but unfortunately, I don't have time to hit all of them. But I do have one question that's actually been waiting here a couple of weeks from Laura. Uh, Laura, thank you for sending this in. I'll read it here and then respond. Laura says, I'm an introvert, plain and simple. I find it challenging to engage in conversation, but my direct coach has advised me that regardless of my nature, the needs of the business requires that I become more extroverted and continue to go out of my personal comfort zone when it comes to leadership 
as in, in the end, it's not about what makes me comfortable, but more so what makes the team comfortable and what works with them. And although I agree that I should be less intense and more vocal, I also firmly believe that the worst advice you can give someone of an introverted nature is to become more extroverted. While I understand that the needs of the business and the team should trump my own, I would appreciate some advice on how to do this and be less shy or unsure while doing so. Well, Laura, thank you so much for this question. It is a question that many people have, I know, thought in this community, and a question I've gotten several times just because um, I've spoken on this show that I am really consider myself an introvert, and, uh, and your question speaks to me because it is me too. And it reminds me of something that happened to me almost 20 years ago now. I was going into my freshman year of college at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, and I had shown up for school, and I was living in one of these uh, dorms, uh, residence halls, as the people who uh, work in universities would call them, and there were 40 or so people on my floor, and I remember our RA, our resident advisor, got us all together for the first floor meeting before school started, and there was, I don't know, 40 or 45 guys were all in this floor lounge packed together. And it was just people on top of people and all trying to get in there so we could hear what our RA had to say. It was the middle of August in the middle of central Illinois, no air conditioning. It was hot. It was uncomfortable. No one wanted to be there. And at that meeting, he was, um, one of the things he needed to do was to get floor officers, so president of the floor, vice president of the floor, who would serve the, the group of guys that year. And as he, uh, he went around the room and it was, you know, trying to get nominations for people to nominate each other. And anyway, long story short, uh, it, no one wanted the job. And so uh, eventually he got to the point where he just said, you know, who would like to be floor president? And he, he let that, he, he asked that question. I remember there was silence in the room and I don't know how long it was. I don't know if it was 10 seconds or 20 seconds or whatever, but in that 10 seconds, I had this, like a whole series of thoughts went through my mind. I, I remember thinking that at that point in my life, I had realized toward the end of high school that I needed to get out of my comfort zone better. I needed to be, to, to, to be more, um, able to communicate with people, to get my message out there, to be more confident in expressing myself. I, I was just such a shy, quiet kid in high school. In fact, my entire childhood, I was quiet and shy, never said much. And I realized that, well, that's who I was. I also wanted to be, uh, I wanted to have more tools than that. I wanted to be able to interact and engage with people in the times I wanted to. And I knew that going to college, I really wanted to get better at that. I didn't want to change who I was, but I wanted to get better at stepping out of my comfort zone, of taking risks, of being more vocal. And so that whole series of thoughts flew through my mind in about 10 seconds and no one in the room said a word. And I sort of sheepishly raised my hand and I said, okay, Mike, I'll do it. And as soon as I did that, everyone in the room breathed this huge sigh of relief because <laughs> they didn't have to do it. And I was like, hmm, what did I get myself into? But here's the thing, Laura, is I look back on that now and that, uh, that very first 
ch- challenge of myself, of, of stepping out of my comfort zone, of being more confident in my communications, that led me to be the floor president that year. That led me to eventually be on the hall console. That led me to my first job on campus. That led me to being a manager of student employees of over 40 people by the time I graduated college, an experience almost nobody I had that I ever went to school with. Uh, It led me to eventually getting interviewed by Microsoft and several other firms when I was coming out of college. It, It led to so many things, including, if I look back today, all the way up to meeting Bonnie, living in Southern California, doing all the things I'm doing professionally. Had I not raised my hand that day, I would be on a different path. Sure, I'd you know, still be doing something, but it wouldn't be this. And so my advice for you, Laura, is uh, first of all, uh, you know, I've, I've been there. And so I would, I would look at this not as an either or, which is how you framed your question. Um, how do I, should I stay being an introvert or, sh- you know, you're, you're asking is, you know, should I be more extroverted as your coach is saying? And I would suggest to you that you're both right. Yes, you should stay who you are. Do not change who you are. I am still an introvert. I will always be an introvert. Uh, That is my comfort zone. That is what gives me joy and energy. And I also want to have the tools to do the things I love to do in my life, which is to be able to engage with people, to serve people well, to um, you know, have a wonderful marriage, to uh, be a parent, to get to work with a team of people, which I enjoy doing every single day. And so I would, I would challenge you not to look at it as an either or, is that you can both be right. You can be who you are. When I talk with clients about learning new skills and they feel like they have to change who they are, I will often use the analogy of it's like a toolbox. We all have a toolbox of skills, and there are tools we all love to use, and we are, there are go-to tools, but we can also learn how to use new tools, and we can build the number of tools that we have in our toolbox. And the more tools we have in our toolbox and that we are trained to use well, the more we can interact well in all kinds of different situations. And so, Laura, I have a few specific suggestions for you as well. One is um, I would work with your coach to find those opportunities. You already said it yourself in the question. I agree that I should be less intense and more vocal. So there's your first opportunity right there is to look for opportunities for that and to look, you know, to work with your coach potentially to identify those opportunities and to start to put in systems in place that will get you there. Um, For me, Toastmasters was a wonderful way that helped me to become more confident in my communications. I volunteered. uh, I went to Toastmasters speaking competitions. I won awards. It was was a lot of fun, but it wasn't an overnight thing. I, I took little steps along the way. And so I challenge you to do that as well, too. I, I volunteered for lots of speaking opportunities, things that were out of my comfort zone, but I volunteered to do them. Um, three specific episodes from this show that I also think would be helpful to you, Laura, and anyone else who's in this situation, I would suggest checking out episode 115. On episode 115, I had Tony Stubblebine on the show. He's the CEO of a company called Lyft. And they have a really cool app software platform that's put together to help people to encourage them to uh, really 
step out and to do the habits that they want to do. And one of your habits may be speaking up each day in some situation. Um, so at one immediate place you could go is I've created a coaching plan on their system. It's called Become a More Respected Manager. But a lot of it is really about how to step out of your comfort zone as a manager to engage more with people. Whether you're a manager or not, I think you'd find value in it. So if you'd like to check that out, once you've created a Lyft account, you can go to coachingforleaders.com slash Lyft plan. And those of you who use Lyft can check that out as well. The other episode I'd suggest, Laura, is um, go ahead and listen to Susan Kane's interview with me back in episode 44. Susan is the author of the book, Quiet, The Power of Introverts in a World That Can't Stop Talking. It's a fantastic book. Susan's done a wonderful TED Talk on that book. Uh, I was privileged to have a chance to interview her and she just has a wonderful message for both introverts and extroverts in the importance of both skill sets in the workplace. Um, by the way, a side note, you can be just as effective as a leader, as an extrovert, as you can be as an introvert. The research is very conclusive that you can do well in both areas. So, And her book is really solid on, on that. So check out the interview first, and I really encourage you to check out the book if you haven't already. And then finally, I would also recommend, if you haven't already listened to it, from two weeks ago, episode 136 with Doug Conant. Uh, Doug has identified himself many times uh, publicly as an introvert, someone who's quieter. Um, he talked about that on the show and some of the challenges he had to work through in order to be more effective. And you know, he found his own way. He, uh, he engaged by starting to write letters and wrote 30,000 letters over his tenure as a CEO, and that's how he chose to connect with people. And look what Campbell Soup is doing today. Man, I mean, they had a, a tremendous turnaround, and a big part of that was the leadership that Doug Conant brought into that organization. So if you're looking for some inspiration, uh, episode 136 is one place to check out that. Laura, I hope that's helpful. And, and drop me a note and let me know what you do. And anyone listening, if you take any of those suggestions, uh, definitely let me know. Put a comment up on the board and uh, let me know what has worked for you. I would love to know what is working for all of the members of our community. Hey, a huge thank you this week to folks who subscribe to the weekly update and are now getting the notes for the episodes in their inbox each week, as well as my weekly article. And that this week is Hector Abeg Garcia, Sanjani Ramkusum, Michelle Ribb, Kristen Albert, Corey Johnson, Lori Olson, Christine Bruder, Barbara Ferranti, Corinne Cope, Heather Balsarek, Allie Murray, Wendy Sudendorf, Philip Jackson, Chris Dehiel, Dumasani Gubaza, Craig Copaway, and Yevs Yank Harry. Yevs, I hope I'm saying your name right. If I'm not, please send me an email. Let me know. I will correct it on the next episode. I do publish an email each Wednesday that will give you a, a booster shot between the shows on how to lead better, give you some advice on communication, human relations, or personal productivity. It's an article, usually a story. Uh, plus the notes from every episode, including this episode and all the graphics from Susan. So if you'd like to get that in your inbox each week, just go to coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. And I would love to formally welcome you to the community. Plus you'll get instant access to my video overview and a downloadable guide on the 10 leadership books that will help you to get even better results from others and even better results for yourself. Of course, to. Hey, a big thank you as well this week to uh, Anthony 
out in the UK. Big shout out, Anthony. Thank you so much for the kind written review you left on iTunes. Uh, Just really nice of you, man. I appreciate it so much. And also, Michelle, thank you so much for the review all the way out in Saudi Arabia on the iTunes store there. Thank you as well. And I know you asked a question on the review, and I will get to that here in a future episode. So thank you in advance. Hey, if this show's been of value to you as well, it is tremendously helpful to the community to uh, to get reviews on the major audio directory. So if you use iTunes, coachingforleaders.com slash iTunes. And if you use Stitcher, coachingforleaders.com slash Stitcher. And please leave a written review there. I would love to uh, thank you personally as well. Hey, have a great week. And again, join us next week. Again, Susan Gerke will be back for episode 139, The Four Stages of Team Development. Thanks, everyone. Take care.